the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Common Good on AM 1160. My name is Brian Fromm. I am joined by Ian Simpkins. We are glad that you chose to join us on this historically frigid Wednesday afternoon. We hope you're in a warm place in your house, under a blanket, uh, whatever it might be. So, Ian, staying warm today, my friend? I mean, kinda. Kinda, yes. I, there's there's certainly corners of my house that are draftier than I uh, anticipated. We just We just bought a house last year, first time buyers, which, you know, bring all sorts of anxiety with it but for me any any like potential problem it's like anxiety producing like oh no what's happening what did i miss so i'm sitting in the corner of my house yesterday and it is like cold cold like i I can feel it on my feet (laughs) at least and you know we've been talking all week that you guys just had a baby uh, you'll be able to tell your child as he grows older, like you were like your second week of life or your first full week of life was the polar vortex that's of right. 19 <laughs> and you guys will be able to share stories and uh, yeah, that'll be fun. That'll be fun. I'm sure he'll care. <laughs> yeah. Dad, I don't remember it. So uh, it, uh, from the government of Chicago, from J.B. Pritzker, uh, if you don't have to be outside, don't be today. I think that is. That is a good uh, recommendation. If you don't have to be outside, stay inside, stay somewhere warm, uh, and enjoy the common good. We're glad you're with us today. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the common good radio show. That's the common good radio show. You can also uh, find us online at 1160hope.com. There you can find old shows. You can find podcasts. and Or you can find our podcast anywhere where you get your podcasts. Um, on your mobile device, so you can do that. Mobile device? Do we still use that? Did I just <laughs> did I just date myself? Uh, I'm did just I, checking out the time here on my sundial, real quick. Did, I, and, just, uh, did I just use the phrase "mobile device"? I'll fax you over the details. <laughs> oh, my friends, it's a cold day out there. It makes us a little loopy. So, it's true. and we wanted to start uh, with a heartwarming story. No pun yeah. intended, if you will, uh, about somebody who oftentimes will make people angry. Guy by the name of Patton Oswalt. So. Uh, something he did on Twitter. Twitter is awfully, oftentimes a place that is just ugly and dark. But something happened this week on Twitter with Patton Oswalt. Uh, why don't you tell us the story? Because it's uh, it's kind of a heartwarmer. Yeah, I found the story on uh, on Upworthy. And, and Patton Oswalt is this comedian who who uh, he he can be pretty blue. I'm not gonna lie. Um, but he's also the the kind of comic who's like really raw, really honest, really self deprecating. And makes some pretty fascinating observations about about life. But again, you know, a comic on a stage has a particular persona they're trying to like maintain. Patton yep. Oswalt on Twitter sometimes feels like 
like all the knobs go to 11. Like he's got a yeah. lot of trolls. People come after him. And because he's like really quick on his feet, like usually his responses are pretty scathing. And so I, you know, I do follow him on Twitter and uh, <laughs> some of the, some of the stuff is, is brutal. And you know, his, his fans are really loyal. And if, if you remember a couple of years ago, um, Patton pretty tragically lost his wife. Right. And um, very unexpectedly, really unexpectedly. And, and, and again, you know, this is sort of off topic, but people were like, you know, half supportive, half just horrific. Like I could not believe some of the stuff that people were saying to him after he lost his wife. And, you know, his responses were equally snarky then as now, but this, this headline uh, to me just made my whole day. It says Pat Oswald and his fans just transformed a Twitter troll's life with a simple but powerful act of kindness. So like, how rare do we see stories like this, right? Usually it's social media is used to, to cut each other down, you know, right. just sort of these screaming matches back and forth, which is something that we've, we've talked a lot about. Um, but this story involves a guy named uh, Michael Beattie who replied to one of Patton's tweets and they were kind of going back and forth. And then a- after a little bit of this, Patton, Patton tweets this. He says, oh man, this dude just attacked me on Twitter and I joked back, but then I looked at his timeline and he's in a lot of trouble health-wise. I'd be mad, too. He's been dealt some pretty terrible cards. Let's deal him some good ones. Click and donate, just like I'm about to. So he, he finds out that Michael had uh, undergone some um, some pretty serious hospitalization for sepsis, um, discovers that he's a, he's a Vietnam vet, and had shared a, a GoFundMe describing um, this like harrowing two weeks in the hospital, battling this disease, and so not only did Oswald donate $2,000 himself towards the guy's $5,000 goal, in just a few hours, his followers pushed it well over the $12,000 mark. So, like, the wherewithal of Patton to be, to be going back and forth with this guy, like he often does, to realize um, maybe that this guy is upset because of some stuff that's going on in his, his own personal life, does some digging, finds the GoFundMe, and doesn't just share it, but donates money himself. Yeah. And like his fans just responded in turn. Like they all rallied around this guy who was just minutes prior, like in this kind of back and forth battle with Patton. Um, and I think it's it's well over 13 grand now to help this guy who's in serious need of recovery. I just, I love so much about that story. Yeah. The willingness to hit pause, like in the midst of like an attack to ask maybe like what's going on beneath the surface with this guy and to not just to not just be more understanding but to actually like put his money where his mouth is to like let that let him let that move him to action to like impact this guy's life in a really powerful way i i just think that's really beautiful it's a good story so much of a twitter is ugly and facebook but also just uh, we've talked a lot on this show about how we just make assumptions about people. So we make assumptions mm-hmm. about Patton Oswald, right? Some of the stuff he said in the past, but we also make assumptions. He's making assumptions about a Twitter troll, if you will, who's come at him uh, and then did a little bit of digging. And it's just a reminder of humanity. Like sometimes yeah. people lash out at you because they're going through stuff. Uh, or sometimes you can look past their lashing out to still show, to still show compassion and sympathy uh, as far as I know, I'm, I might be making an assumption that's not fair here, but I don't think Patton Oswald's a, a believer. Uh, but man, he's he's whether he is or not living in a very Christ-like way in this very specific situation. Well, and it, it's it's impressive on its own, right? To you know support somebody who is really feeling like they're at their end. It's all the more impressive though to do that. It feels a lot like loving your enemies, doesn't it? Yes. Like in the midst of like, wow, this guy's legitimately. And I don't. I'm not going to get into whether or not you know. Patton deserved it or if he was antagonistic yeah, yeah. or if he, you know, that's, it's kind of not the point, but to, 
to treat someone with that kind of compassion that you were just having an argument with, you were just having a spat with, to me, and the guy, you know, he, he later tweets, I want to thank everyone who came to my aid uh, with generous outpourings. He said, I'm, I'm not a man who has ever cried, but I, but I think I think I just reached a new point. Like he shares a photo of him in the hospital bed and just thanking all of his, um, all of his audience. Like I think that to me is such a tremendous. It's the power of compassion. It's the power of kindness. Like when we think we can, I'm going to pummel you into believing what I believe, or I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to dismantle your ideologies. Like man, you just you know to to round the corner from arguing to loving is such a hard, difficult thing to do. But like this is just one example of of how profound an impact it can have. Yeah, and it just screams that that. He didn't need to, but he chose compassion. Yeah. He chose a caring. Uh, he helped change his man's life. And, you know, as a follower of Jesus, uh, our our first move should always be compassion. Yeah. Our first move should always be understanding, uh, regardless of what people are saying to or about us. And so to be challenged in this way, not only is it a heartwarming story, but I find it to be a challenging story. Just, okay. Careful of the assumptions you make, and uh, man, Jesus did say love your enemies, and this is a this is a wonderful picture. I like how the article ends. Uh, I think they created their own wor- word here. It says, "Keep up the awesome humaning, Patton. We need more of you in the world." So that humaning. that if we could rename our show, I think I would rename it "Awesome Humaning." <laughs> I like and, it. Uh, we could be doing that. So off to a good start on this cold, bitter day. A little heartwarming story to get us going. But coming up next. We're going to talk about these bills that are being floated in some states about having Bible classes taught in our public schools. Uh, Ian and I are going to bounce that around next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined uh, as I am every day by Ian Simpkins. Uh, if you want to follow us on Facebook, you can do so at facebook.com slash the common good radio show. That's the common good radio show or online. You can find our old shows at 1160hope.com or Ian, as I said, in the first part, you can find our podcasts on anywhere you find podcasts on your mobile devices, <laughs> <laughs> mobile device. Please say that your every mobile, time your mobile. Oh, so good. Uh, before the break, we talked to you about what we want to talk about is this this thing that's coming out about Bible classes being taught in the public schools. This is straight out of the USA Today. Um, again, I don't know how to say that. Is it the USA Today Today? Straight oh. out of the USA Today. From the de- Department of Redundancy Department? There, there you go. <laughs> and it starts with this. Uh, a wave of, quote, Bible literacy bills emerging in state legislatures would allow more students in public high schools to study the Old Testament and the New Testament proposals from lawmakers in at least six states would require or encourage public schools to offer elective classes on the Bible's literary and historical significance. That's a more narrow focus than what's typically covered uh, in courses on on world religion. Some of the lawmakers and leaders of Christian groups supporting the bill say they want to restore traditional values in schools and give students a chance to study the religious text deeply do you want my thoughts first or your thoughts i'd love to hear yours first please (laughs) (laughs) ian and i we purposely didn't talk about this before by the way uh if you agree with what we talk about or disagree we'd love for you to give us your feedback again at facebook.com the common good radio show the common good radio show uh ian i'm about uh 50 on this bill i have kids in the public school my daughter is in high school she's a freshman in high school and in fact, my daughter just finished a world religions um, semester. 
She just okay. finished in her what is, I think they call it global connections, but it's actually just social studies. That's what we called it growing up. Wow, uh, global connections. Global connections. And what they did in global connections, there was an entire uh, unit on all of the world religions. And mm. um, so everything from Christianity to Judaism to Muslim to Buddhism and across the board, they learned kind of the background. They had to answer all of these questions. And I found it really fascinating. Hmm. Uh, and so that is uh, where my jumping off point is here. Um, I would be really excited for kids to study the Bible uh, in public schools um, for the purpose of studying it as a religious text, not for the purpose of restoring traditional values in schools. Oh. Uh, I believe fully in the separation of church and state. Here's why. I've got kids in the public school. Uh, I don't want the school deciding what those traditional values are and teaching them to my children. And mm. I also don't want the bill to come out from uh, whether it be a Muslim group or a Buddhist group or whatever else. It says, okay, now we want you to not just teach our text, but we want you to teach them the the morality of our texts. Okay. And how this, but this becomes a slippery slope, right? I don't, uh, oft, uh, what I believe where values come from, I believe there's two places that my kids most need to learn their values from. A, uh, my wife and I, within our home, discussing these things, talking about these things, to the church. Mm. Uh, this is an abdication of the church's role here. It's not the school's role to teach my children values. And I understand where this comes from. People are scared of what's going on in the schools and all this stuff. But, friends, only bad things have happened in the history of the world uh, when when religion, when values and these things have been melded with the government. Mm. <laughs> And only bad things have happened. And so, to be honest with you, I don't want the religious, the Old Testament and the New Testament taught by my wife's, uh, my wife's, my daughter or my son's <laughs> English teacher yeah. or social studies teachers so that they will understand Christianity, be converted and follow Jesus. Hmm. Uh, but I do, I'm okay with it being, it, the Bible is in and of itself, whether you're a believer or not, is a great lit piece of literature. Yeah. So teach it. Yeah. Go ahead, open the Bible, but take it from that level as an historical book. Leave the values, uh, leave the, um, you know, the kind of we want to teach you about why you should be a Christian. I don't think that has any place in the public schools any more than why you should be a Muslim or why you should be a Democrat or why you should be a Republican uh, need, need not be taught to my kid in school as well. Does that make sense? It does, and I think there's probably... Gosh, so many things I want to say. There's yep. an important distinction between values and manners, right? Like, I'm okay with my kids, like, learning, yep. you know, social decency and etiquette. Um, but they don't I think, need the Bible for that, right? Right, and I yep. think it's important. I, I would be okay with my with my kid learning those things in a public school system. I don't, I don't think that all of those need to come simply from our household or from our church community. I think they can learn those things in a number of different places, and I would be glad to have some help in doing so. I think right. that's, I think that's fine. Uh, I think you also made an important distinction, and maybe I'm just showing my suspicion because to me, this feels like like one step in helping develop a Christian theocracy, and I don't think that's the goal. I don't think that's a point. I think to what you were saying, that hasn't seemed to have gone well for us. Yes, you know when 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 uh, Christianity and the empire start kind of um, you know becoming uh, too closely linked. I think it is, is really problematic, but I. I think teaching, I mean, you said it, whether you buy into any of this or not, the Bible, at the, at the very least, is an important book, which is really a collection of books. Like, there's no way around that. Even if you disagree with every single word, 
uh, it's important. It has significance and has had massive implications throughout history. That, to me, I think is super fascinating. I think at the very least, if we were able to educate people in a public sphere that the Bible is not a book but a collection of books, even that alone would be a huge leap forward in helping people engage with the text intelligently you know so but my concern is with this with this bill with this effort like who are the people that are going to be teaching how are we going to find i mean is it going to be like local pastors that are coming in it's going to feel more like a bible study or a devotion or a sermonette than like a true educational right. unpacking of like that's that's my concern i think there's a, a guy named father james martin i i think he said it well he he retweeted uh, Trump, who said, you know, numerous states introducing Bible literacy classes, giving students the option of studying the Bible, starting to make a turn back. It's great. And so Father James Martin said, uh, good idea. I suggest we start with the passages that talk about welcoming the stranger, helping the poor, <laughs> forgiving those who have wronged you, praying for your enemies, turning away from the love of money, embracing humility and leading a life of love, mercy and compassion. <laughs> and I think, well, OK, like that. <laughs> But to your point, that's actually the opposite of what you're saying. Like, actually, right. I, even though you and I, as pastors, agree with those things, should the school be teaching those things? I'm torn because, like, living a life of love, mercy, and compassion, I, I'm okay with that. How that plays out, though, obviously, is anyone's guess. Everyone has different definitions of what that looks like. So it's, it's clearly messy. But I, I do think, yeah, when. When when it looks like we're pointing down the avenue of a Christian theocracy, like uh, there's all sorts of hesitation on my part that this might not be a helpful direction for us to go. Yeah, in the USA Today article here, it says, in short, <clears throat> there's a line in public schools between teaching about a religion and proselytizing. Yeah. Lawmakers bringing the proposal say the classes can be taught in a way that doesn't overstep the line. Uh, I think the one way they'll know that is if they're offering also classes on the Koran and other yeah. things. I think Absolutely. that's going to be a big test. And my guess is that that's not the point. I do think it brings up the question of like uh, churches maybe are not doing a good job in giving our kids these backgrounds. And maybe people are now feeling like the schools Mm. need to, I think as pastors, we do need to look in the mirror and be like, Hey, our kids, you know, are they getting, are they getting the Bible? Are they understanding uh, these things? I do think that's a helpful thought as well, but I'm, I don't know this, this feels dangerous to me. It doesn't feel like a road that needs to be gone down. Uh, Things like values and and belief systems seem to be places uh, not just for the church, but more so for the family. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's a good point. And I think it, I, I think that it's the litmus test, like how we talk about like religious studies, you know, like in a lot of like private schools, the class called religious studies is mostly Bible study, right? We studied mostly one religion, and I think that's an important barometer. Like, okay, are we willing to actually allow these other voices and perspectives in the same classroom? That would be that would be an important test. Correct. Well, I'm sure not all of you agree with us, so we would love to hear from you at facebook.com slash The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. My name is Brian Fromm, joined again by Ian Simpkins. This is The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm the lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois, joined as always with Ian Simpkins. Ian is the teaching pastor at the Yellow Box Community Christian Church in Naperville, Illinois. I hope you're enjoying this cold, frigid day. Ian, (laughs) uh, not only are my kids off of school on this crazy Wednesday cold day, but now we just heard that they're also off of school tomorrow. That's amazing. uh, I I shared uh, yesterday that... 
like homeschoolers will never experience the joy <laughs> of learning that their schools are canceled because you you live in your school. Like it was my, my parents. I love I love my parents. There there'd be days where my you know both my parents grew up um, in like incredible families. But if we like claim to be sick, you know. Uh, she'd be like, that's fine. I'll bring your books to your bed. Like she would just bring the textbook to our bed with a bowl of chicken noodle soup. <laughs> Let me know when you're done. So there was no getting out of it. Like it was just all, you know, it was, it was always uh, an opportunity to go to school. There are lots of things you missed. A lot of the good things like that, like snow days and this net, but you also didn't probably have to do like the gym class fitness tests where I always got embarrassed and lost sleep at night and things like that. So with the rope and the like quarter inch mat underneath you and all that stuff. Yeah. I once, I was I was a larger child, if you will. And one time we were doing the rope and I just hung from it. Like I didn't move. Like my foot was like, you know, six inches off the ground and I hung and I turned and I looked at the, this is elementary school or or I think middle school. And I turned and looked at the, uh, uh, at the gym teacher and he smiled and he said, you got to go for a minute. (laughs) No. And you just hung there for a minute. I did. That's unfortunate. (laughs) I'm sweating now. Just the thought. Just the thought. Well, speaking of human dignity, <laughs> we call, <laughs> nice transition. We call that a transition. In Christianity Today, Ed Stetzer uh, recently wrote an article called Why Human Dignity is a Gospel Issue. Uh, and he unpacks it a lot, but for the sake of time, let me get to some of his conclusions. He says this. While many of us have heard a one-dimensional gospel, that is the spiritual forgiveness of sin, the gospel Jesus preached did not dwell exclusively in the spiritual plane. He was not just restoring the spiritual being, but the whole being. He said as much in his first public sermon when he quoted the prophet Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he goes on to say, if you look at Jesus's ministry, especially his healings, you'll notice This thread running throughout it, the leper can now return to the city. The adulterous woman is no longer condemned. The demon-possessed man is no longer an outcast. The hated Samaritan, who is now a hero. It's this concept of human dignity uh, in the midst of the gospel. What are your thoughts? Man, I want to shout amen, first and foremost. I I just think that's such an important component that we, uh, we miss when we subscribe to what I'd call a disembodied evacuation model yeah. of Christianity, right? The, the whole goal is just to white knuckle it here on planet Earth for 90 years, and then we just get sucked up into heaven. Like the whole goal, it's kind of the I'll fly away mentality, right? So salvation is simply for me to be in heaven when I die. If that were the case, why wouldn't we just be in heaven now? Like yes. there, there's purpose for us um, right here in the midst of joy, but also suffering. And I think, Jeez, there's so many examples too, not just of like the leper being restored to the community, but even how Jesus interacts with the leper in particular, right? So a leper, as many of us know, would have to like declare unclean, unclean anytime yeah. he entered a city or in any space where there are people and everyone would, you know, scatter. Like, so here's a guy who's not only dealing with just an incredible illness, but also the the dehumanizing, uh, repetitive realization that no one would even come near him. And numerous gospel accounts record that Jesus touches the leper before he heals them. And I think we we miss the significance of that. A, a guy, and it, it doesn't tell us how long it had been since someone had given him a hug or put a hand on his shoulder, but we can assume a long time. 
Yeah. And for Jesus to to look them in the eyes, to put a hand on their shoulder, to like, and he didn't have to do that. Jesus's powers were not limited to touch, right? He could have just sort of, you know, miracle laser fingered from across the room if he wanted and restored an, any number of sicknesses. But he chose to like enter into the humanity of either their own pain or, you know, the guy whose whose son had been suffering. He asks, "How long has he been like this?" Like, yeah. that's. That's such a strange question. Why not heal first, ask questions later, right? But Jesus, time and time again, se- seems to be subverting and, 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 and really turning upside down the way that we tend to think of, like, this disembodied evacuation or just heal the sickness. He's entering into the humanity, the heart matter of what that person was dealing with, not not just the physical part, but the whole person, which I think is so important for us to remember about the life and ministry of Jesus. Absolutely, and... um in Jesus's time, he really pushed back, say, against the Pharisees because the Pharisees saw themselves as more important. They held greater. They right. looked down upon other people's dignity, and especially the sick, especially the lepers, especially the tax collectors, and all the list goes on and on. Uh, and there are things in our culture that cause us culturally to look down on people. Um, but the question is, where do we as Christians and as churches um, put ourselves above other people. Where mm. does because as people of the gospel, as Stetzer is saying here, as gospel um, Jesus followers, uh, people have an inherent dignity that Jesus affirmed, and therefore we need to affirm. Mm. Uh, and it, it falls that human dignity falls in the in the imago dei that everybody is created in the image of God, and therefore everybody has intrinsic worth, and that should therefore determine how we treat other people. And you know, I I'm feeling really convicted even as you're saying that because it's it's really easy to point a finger at the religious elite from the right. perspective of history like those dumb pharisees they totally missed it i'm gonna live like jesus right we usually identify with jesus in these stories not with you know the hypocritical religious leaders but so often at least in my, my own life i'm probably closer to them than yes. i am the life of jesus and i'd like to think man if there was a leper in my path or a blind man i had the power to heal them i would i would behave the same way and i think there's much subtler ways that we dehumanize, that we don't speak truth and dignity and honor the Imago Dei into people. And I was, I was just thinking about a couple of weeks ago, I was with a couple of friends and um, the conversation turned really sour towards someone who wasn't there. Mm. And I remember thinking I should stop this. And I didn't like it. It was kind of embarrassing actually, because I was with friends. I wasn't like trying to impress them or anything. And it, it turned really sour and they were kind of saying some stuff that was was not speaking the Imago Dei, was not speaking dignity about this person, and I didn't do anything about it. And like I, I, that really rattled me for a while. Like, whoa, that was a chance to, even though that guy wasn't there and he has no idea that conversation happened, like, you're a pastor, man. Like, at the very least, lead by example, you know? And I, I think that there's, there's subtle ways that we uh, turn a nose up at somebody or we assume well, that person doesn't know what they're talking about. We see this on social media. There are very... Uh, easily missed ways that we we don't actually restore the imago dei in people and speak human the god given human dignity that they have by how how we talk to them or how we talk about them. That's good. And it's 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 way more obvious sometimes in the gospels than it is in our day to day life. But it's really really worth paying attention to. And we'd be remiss not to acknowledge that there are people out there. Uh, their issues not looking down on other people. Their issues looking down on themselves. Like yeah, where do I totally. get my dignity? I'm the leper. I'm the Totally. You know, the, the bleeding woman in this story or whatever else it might be. And uh, you need to hear, if that's you out there, you need to hear that you've been created in the image of God. God doesn't make mistakes. 
and that in Christ you're a child of God. Like you have an identity and a dignity that's far greater uh, than any kind of metric we often use that's right. uh, here in on this earth. Yep. I, I think that's uh, one of the hardest truths to really grapple with. I think C.S. Lewis says, um, you've never met a mere mortal. Mm. There's no such thing. And that, and it, it is a very difficult thing to not only allow that to permeate your life, but to actually, yeah, if you're there today and you feel less than, know that the truest thing about you is that you're loved. Yeah. The truest thing about you, your identity, regardless of what you've done or what's been done to you, uh, is that there's a God who made you and loves you. And I think when we start from that place, man, that affects everything else in our life. Mm, good news. I needed to hear that today. Hopefully there's other people out there that needed to hear it uh, as well. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined by my co-host, Ian Simpkins. Coming up next, we're going to talk about this concept of leadership. Can anybody be a leader? That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160 on this frigid, frigid Wednesday afternoon. Hopefully you're staying warm, you're indoors, you're safe, or at least in the car with the heat on. Uh, my name is Brian Fromm, joined again by Ian Simpkins. Uh, Ian, I was just telling you uh, last segment, not only are my kids off of school today, but already canceled for tomorrow. So, I mean, that's, that's a gift from on high. And uh, it actually came, just the email just came while we were locked, talking that the high schools are now closed too, so... Well, it sounds like the next uh, 36 hours or so in the Chicagoland, everyone is just kind of batting down the hatches. And, uh, man, I'm using every old phrase I can today. How about batting <laughs> down the down hatches? Batting the hatches. Batting down the hatches. I'm writing these down, by the way. I have a document just entitled, like, Brian's Antiquated Statements. The very first show you and I ever did, you did call me fatherly. So I'm just going to continue going on with this. I think it was fatherly. Wasn't that the word you used I for d- me? I don't know why that's not a compliment, though. Like, you you just, you have a sense. You're a shepherd. It is you a love compliment. to care for people. I just think that's, uh, I think... Maybe we have to talk about why that strikes such a nerve for you. It is a compliment, but I think it, it does also imply other things. So I'm good with it. Anyway, we hope you're staying warm. Uh, you can follow us, Facebook.com at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Also online at 1160hope.com. If you go there, you can find past shows. You can find past interviews like uh, this past Monday when we had a the blessing of and the awesome time of being able to sit down with Mark Job for uh, for almost an hour, we sat down with Julie Roy's for a half hour. Uh, so you can uh, go find those there as well. I got I got to be honest, too. You had such incredible guests while I was gone. I did. Like, it's made me a little nervous to return. Like, I'm I'm listening to my car. I'm like, holy cow, these guys, these people are so much smarter than me. They're never going to want me back. Uh, they, they all they all said hello. They all said they missed you. <laughs> Great. So it was fun. You and I have talked to Julie multiple times, but to have her in person in studio was really good. That's awesome. uh, and I should also remind you that tonight, speaking of Julie Royce, uh, she was in the other day to to tape the show she's doing called The Church in Crisis, kind of looking at the evangelical church um, uh, across America. What are some of the issues, whether you look at Harvest or Willow or, you know, uh, Mark Driscoll's church or other things, Sovereign Grace, all these different things. And what does it say about the church? She's got some fascinating interviews and some thoughts that is actually airing tonight right after our show at 6 o'clock here on AM 1160. So uh, I would encourage you to give that a listen. Well, Ian, on Pathios, on the Pathios blog, 
There was a story there entitled, Can Anyone Be a Leader? And that intrigued us both because you and I as pastors, we live in this world of leadership. Uh, we go to leadership conferences, people talking about leaders, and there's really kind of almost a monolithic picture of a leader that's often given, at least in our world, of kind of this visionary, of kind of this type A personality. And sometimes I don't feel like that fits me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so sometimes, quite frankly, I leave some of those conferences going, I'm not sure I'm actually a leader. <laughs> mm, yeah. and, uh, but I'll go home and I'll go lead my church, I guess, as best I can. Um, and so this article I found really fascinating because, to be honest with you, when I read the, the headline, Can Anybody Be a Leader? I thought the answer was going to be no. Yeah, right. Um, but in fact, this person takes the other tact and says, uh, for those like me who think we're all capable of leading, the word is defined by parameters of influence and how we steward Everybody is a leader as long as we see leadership as influencing others to achieve a vision. What is your thoughts about can anybody be a leader? I, yeah, I'm, I'm passionate about this issue, too, because I think what you just read, and John Maxwell has been saying this for years, that if you have influence, you're a leader. Right? That's mm. part of the definition. And what ends up happening sometimes is people are influencing others for good or for bad and don't see themselves as leaders. And so, therefore, are either unaware of the damage they're doing or – they're they're not harnessing their capacity uh, in the fullest sense because they just don't like you said they don't see themselves fitting this one particular box of a leader and that's not knocking that one box like I think that's a really important component. absolutely but we need to we definitely I think need to need to broaden it because if if Maxwell is right that influences leadership um, we I don't think do a great job all the time of talking about it as such often it's the person with the microphone, it's the person with the million dollar smile, it's the person with um, either kind of the alpha male or type A, you know, particular bent, which again, we need as a part of the whole, but is a pretty flat, I think, definition and understanding of leadership. In fact, I found this quote by John Quincy Adams. I just think it's beautiful. It says, if your actions inspire others to dream more, mm. learn more, do more and become more, you are a leader. And I think of my own life, man, there are countless people who have done that for me that wouldn't fit kind of the one-dimensional depiction of what a leader is. And looking back, I'm like, man, that person led me in significant ways and wouldn't even consider themselves a leader. What would happen if those people making that kind of impact really saw the, themselves as leaders? Could that have even greater impact and influence um, because they're, they're stepping into this God-given purpose and identity and role that that's been given to them. Yeah. And I think you brought up a great point about anyone who has influence uh, on anything or on anybody is a leader. And I think what we often do is instead of influence, we, we, we answer that question of anybody who has authority. Oh, that's good. And that the, uh, it's the people with authority who are the leaders and those are not necessarily tied together. Um, the, sometimes people with authority could be great leaders, but sometimes they could be terrible leaders. Yep. And, um, and oftentimes in churches or in organizations, some of the best leaders in terms of people having the greatest amount of influence and impact aren't at the top of the organizational chart. They're often further down influencing people um, and helping mold, whether it be an organization or a family uh, or a community of faith like a church. Right. I do think it's important, too, then, to talk about the definitions of these roles because if if it's true, then, that leadership is influence – then that could be a that could be a CEO that could be middle management like that that really in a lot of ways I think speaks purpose into wherever you're at that you've been given uh, some kind of space some sphere of influence um, to lead well and we know from the gospels that how do you lead 
first by serving, right? right? You want to become great, become the least. It's it's modeled for us in this rabbi who who gets down low and washes feet, right? And touches lepers as we were just talking about. Like right. to me, I think it was Lencioni, Patrick Lencioni, who said, I'm tired of the phrase servant leadership because there really is no other kind. Oh, that's like, powerful. Leadership is serving people, and sometimes that means being in the top of a pyramid, but a lot of times, maybe even more often, it means serving well the people around you. And we just, I don't think we often talk, I mean, there's so many books and conferences and blogs about leadership and that sentiment of being a, a servant leader uh, is, I think, so often left out, which is convicting for me because if Jesus is our, our primary example of leadership, um, then, then maybe it's time for us to adjust some things. It's so where we get it backwards, isn't it? Jesus' model of leadership, which as Christ followers, we want to model, is so 180 degrees different than everything else we hold up, whether it be in churches. And I'm, you know, guilty as charged. Oftentimes, uh, I'm the, you know, the lead pastor of our church. You, you've, you got everyone out there could see me doing air quotes, right? <laughs> um, uh, as the lead pastor, it should be my job to be the lead shepherd and the lead servant. Uh, but man, it's hard to keep that that mindset. It's hard not to look at people as to what can they do for me? Hmm. How can we mobilize them to move my vision of the church forward as opposed to like, no, my job is to serve these people and yep. to make them flourish into being influencers and disciples and equip them to go out and lead other people uh, to know Jesus. I struggle with that as a lead pastor, man. Yep. I totally hear that, man. Thanks for sharing that. Well, let's all go from here. Uh, leading in the way that Jesus did. Well, this is The Common Good on AIM 1160. Enjoying being together on this frigid Wednesday afternoon. When we come back, we've got yet another heartwarming story that helps us remember not all's bad in humanity. That's The Common Good on AIM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. My name is Brian Fromm. Joined by Ian Simpkins yet again today uh, on this bitterly cold Wednesday afternoon. Again, uh, if you don't have to be outside for any reason today, don't. This is actually pretty severe. I know we've made a lot of light of the cold today, but uh, this is actually dangerous. So yeah. stay in, have some hot chocolate, make a fire. Uh, in a fireplace, by the way. <laughs> make sure it's in the fireplace. Yes. And listen to the common good. Right? Listen to the common good. We'll keep you we'll keep you warm. So okay. somehow I'm so uncomfortable with that. Where did that, where did that come from? Oh, Getting a little loopy. The kids are off of school and it's cold outside. So uh, again, we were discussing how this weekend it's going to be uh, almost 80 to 100 degrees warmer when you factor in wind chills. It's going to be like 45 degrees. I'm gonna... I mean, I'm grateful, but holy cow, that's got to that can't be healthy. I feel like people are going to be walking. Um, they're going to be uh, walking on like the lakefront on Friday, even though it's on, on Saturday because it's going to be like 40 degrees. It's going to be Gosh, like that's bonkers. Waiting in. 
Well, Ian, we said we had a heartwarming story, and this one's a good one. And one thing I like that we do here is sometimes when you have a radio show, you could just try to go negative all the time, right? Like, yeah. uh, you know, this church stinks, these people stink, whatever, and just keep <laughs> right, going. Right. Uh, and certainly we do some of that. Um, but uh, every now and then it's good to just have a story that goes, you know what? Not everything's bad. Yep. And that there are people out there doing good things. And there's whole communities doing good things. And with that in mind, let me tell you this story. All right. Thousands of people attended a funeral for uh, Joseph Walker in Killeen, Texas. Joseph was a veteran uh, on Monday, despite the fact that cemetery staff did not even expect his family members to attend. Oh, wow. Central Texas State Veteran Cemetery said last week that Walker would receive a full military bur- burial, but that no family had come forward since Walker's death in November and that he was a, quote, unaccompanied veteran. Oh, man. So they said the cemetery put out on Facebook, if you have the opportunity, please come out and attend. We do not, capitalize not, leave veterans behind. And so they just put that out on Facebook. Who knows what would happen? Well, the post was shared hundreds of times. Several local news outlets and even CNN shared the funeral details on social media. A senator from Texas, Ted Cruz, shared the word event on Twitter. Uh, And then it says this, although more than 2,000 people attended the funeral on Monday, Williamson County Sheriff Robert uh, Chody, who was involved with overseeing units help with traffic flow, also told CNN he estimated more than 5,000 people actually attended. Wow. And it was officiated by Mark George of the Christian Motorcyclists Association. And he said, today we're not strangers. Today we are family. I don't wow. have a lot of information, but it doesn't matter because once upon a time, like a lot of us other vets, he signed a blank check for our nation. Wow. And they said it's completely overwhelming and you could go. Uh, in that, and there's a picture online. If you look it up, there's a picture of like it looks like when you go to like a concert or or a baseball game, or you ever watch Field of Dreams at the end of oh, Field yeah. of Dreams, where there's just yep. that long line of cars beyond what you could see. Somebody yep. took a picture, and it was just this going into the cemetery. It looked like it was going to take hours to get into the cemetery because of all the people lined up to go. And there's many different ways we can go with this one, man. But the first one I want to say is just this: what a cool story. Yeah, no kidding. I like that story. What what. What are the feels? What are what are kind of the emotions you get as you hear that story? I think this is the kind of story that regardless of your politics, uh, you step back and say, yeah, that's that's humanity doing doing some good work. Like it is. I think there's implications, too, because so often when we when we're stuck behind a screen arguing with people that disagree with us. Um, there is a sort of like dehumanizing that happens, you know, and the person becomes the sum of their position or yep. the sum of their conclusion. And it's. It can be detrimental, especially if it's different than mine. Yeah. But I think these these kinds of, this is like a breath of fresh air for us to all step like step back and say, okay, yeah, that we need more of that in the world. Yeah. Obviously, a funeral is a is a time for grief. That's real. But also, like a community of people rallying around someone um, who ultimately, like the you know the guy the guy being honored wasn't there. Like that's right. that's the thing that's like to me. I think it was Samuel Johnson who said the true measure of a man is how he treats someone who can do him absolutely no good. Like this, this, the selflessness of people who probably had to cancel plans or move some things around. Like these, these are people, you know, with their own lives and said, this is worth uh, showing our support for. And again, regardless of your politics or how you feel about any of the stuff, like the idea of rallying around somebody, the, the, just the, just the beauty of it being shared that many times and them saying, we do not leave veterans behind. Like, yeah. That doesn't just apply to combat. That applies for like the humanity of like, nope, this was a, a person made, we say this a lot, in the image and likeness of God. 
And um, this is one of the ways that we can help speak truth and identity and dignity uh, into that person by showing showing our support. So last week when Kelly Brady was here, we talked about an article, I believe it was written by Russell Moore, it was at the Gospel Coalition. And uh, Moore's point was this, that graveyards and cemeteries are a wonderful place to get perspective. Yeah, that they're no a wonderful place to be reminded of what's important in life. And, and that I can't help but think of that as you read this story and be like, man, this guy, from what it sounds like, right? He had no family, any of this. He probably didn't live with a lot of dignity outwardly um, yeah. at the end of his life. He was probably low. There probably wasn't many people around. It's, it's kind of you can read between the lines, right? Nobody's yeah, coming right. to his funeral. Uh, but in his in the funeral, you see that his dignity was restored. Not even restored. That's the wrong way to put it. His dignity was uh, acknowledged. Yeah, uh, it was right. affirmed. That's the word I'm it looking for. It was yes. affirmed. People yep. there said, "You know what? This guy matters." Yeah. Uh, not just mattered, and not just. Be, I know they they hung heavy on the veteran stuff, but not just because he was a veteran, but because uh, going back to what we just talked about a little bit ago, because he's made in the image of God, and everybody deserves. Uh, to be honored and and uh, celebrated in that way, both in life but also uh, in their death. Well, and I, for, for me, the hope is that less and less it would require funerals for us to get that. Yep. You know, like it is funerals have a profound way of like snapping us out of sort of our sleepwalk state. We're like, holy cow, I've yeah, I've been coasting. Like I need to pay attention. I, I was actually thinking about right out of college, I, I uh, moved into a house in, uh, in Elgin and just, I you know, I I had this this um this heart for the the homeless community of our city and so I spent a lot of time um you know even slept out with some of the these homeless men and women that wow. have become legitimate friends of mine this, this wasn't like a this wasn't some sort of you know ministry these they like we had them over and then we hung out and these are people that I knew and uh one of my buddies uh, uh one night he he uh, froze to death and he couldn't find uh, are a you place kidding? to stay and so we had a funeral service for him and a church opened their doors really beautifully. And, um, his family came and, and he had been kind of estranged from his family. Sort of sounds like a little bit like, like this story that we shared and, um, and all of us in the church also rallied around and, and to see the family so moved by how many people showed up for their, you know, their alcoholic homeless father's funeral. Mm. And I'll, I'll never forget what the son said this, this like, rattled me to my core he said my father um fought a lot of demons he you know he didn't sugarcoat that there was there was just a lot of difficulty in this man's life he said but he gave so many people the opportunity to be jesus to him and so few people took him up on the offer mm. and i man that that just struck a chord like deep in my heart that i don't want to let i don't want to have to wait for funerals to remember to, to speak dignity and purpose into people's lives to Absolutely. take those opportunities to love the least of these, God help help me to see more and more. Um, help me to see people the way that you see them. Yes. And funerals still have that effect on me. You know, there's still, yep. and maybe that's true for all of us. You yep. know, it has a way of like elevating for us what's most important. It's a very clarifying event. But I I don't want to have to wait for the next funeral to be able to to ask God to say, help me to see people the way that you see them. You know, man, that was good stuff. That was good stuff. That was very pastoral of you. And. <laughs> uh, uh, I think that's a great call. Like, don't wait for the funerals. Everybody's got dignity as in the image of God. Let's treat one another that way, and let's treat everybody we come across in that way. That's a good yeah. word here. Uh, again, my name is Brian Fromm, joined by my co-host Ian Simkins. This is The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. <laughs> 
Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm the lead pastor of Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois, joined again by Ian Simkins. Ian is the teaching pastor at the Yellow Box at Community Christian Church uh, in Naperville, Illinois. Uh, You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show or online at 1160hope.com. Uh, on at there, you can find uh, old interviews we've done or old shows. You can catch up and uh, listen to whatever it is that you want. We hope you're all staying warm out there today. Uh, just crazy, crazy cold. It's almost uh, you almost can't get your mind around it. Schools are out. Most schools are out tomorrow. Uh, hopefully, everyone's just hunkering down and uh, and staying staying warm. Staying. Warm. I, I, I actually saw Han Solo on a, <laughs> a, a, a tauntaun riding through uh, the neighborhood yesterday. So. Did you actually have some, some, ner- some nerd level winter humor? <laughs> I got it. I got it. I got I'm it. So proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, Star Wars, not too nerdy. It's okay. That's true. <laughs> Debatable. Um, yeah, we came across uh, yet another article in time.com at time. And uh, it's entitled this. There's nothing virtuous about finding common ground. I got worried at first. I thought I read it. There's nothing virtuous about the common good. And I was like, man, time already got to us. Uh, but it is instead titled, There's Nothing Virtuous About Finding Common Ground. And uh, I, I think it's, it has to do with uh, sometimes there's right and wrong. It's not always the best to compromise and be in the middle and try to understand both sides and say you're right and I'm right. But why don't you yeah. give us a little bit of background on it? Yeah, well, the you know the headline of this story obviously caught my eye because we we talk a lot about um, our hope and dream for the show is to find not only common ground but actually work toward the common good, the the messiness, the in between, in a world that seems to be increasingly in love with like arguing and you know echo chambers and confirmation bias. Let's let's meet in the middle. Let's let's find some space to actually dialogue. And I still stand by that. I still. Uh, I love that vision for this show, but this, you know, this headline, there's nothing virtuous about finding common ground is a little bit of clickbait, but yes. it also, the article is rich with a number of great points and I won't delve into all the details. You can find it yourself, but it's, it's talking about a number of like first person accounts of some pretty horrific injustices. Um, you know, talking about being either on the receiving end or having a front row seat to them and the thesis of the whole story is is talking about sometimes the middle's not good enough. Like sometimes things are just wrong or they're just evil. And for us to say, ah, you know, both sides have a good point. Yeah. Or there's, you know, let's, okay, hear them out. Like they're, and I, as a Christ follower, even the, the, the idea, cause I've, I've often heard, um, some pretty vitriolic examples of sometimes things are just wrong. Um, and I don't know if it's because maybe I disagree with the person's conclusion that it kind of struck a chord with me. I'm like, Oh gosh, calm down. Like sometimes I think we are too quick to jump to calling something evil simply because we disagree with it. However, I also know, at least for me, um, there can be a temptation to like, all right, let's hear everybody out. Let's make sure everyone's got a seat at the table. You know, sometimes that's really necessary. And other times, if I'm just looking at the life of Ian Simpkins, there are times Ian, where you should have said, now that's just straight up wrong. We yeah. don't tolerate that. That's not okay. We need to stand up for that. We need to walk alongside them. We need to link arms together. Um, it is easy from the perspective of history, I think, to look at things that we now all together in unison say that was wrong. Um, it's way difficult, though, when you're in the midst of it, right? When you're yes. like, wow, there's people I love, really smart people on both sides of this debate or this discussion. And I, I start to 
I start to waver in my confidence a little bit of like calling evil evil. You know, like it's easy when the Bible, you know, points to that. That's evil. But there's there's a lot that the Bible doesn't speak to that is part of our reality right now. Like, okay, how do I? Oh, shoot. How do I interact with that? What? How? How do we have a conversation about that while still speaking truth to power, still calling out things that, like like you were saying, speak against the Imago Day in people? What are the yeah. ways that we, you know, how, that's a very difficult tension to hold and something that I think is worth working toward and requires a certain level of relational equity to even have the conversation, right? Absolutely. To, to even talk about these things, like it requires a certain level of like, okay, we're in this together, um, but sometimes from a distance to call out what is evil can can have detrimental effects on the person calling it out, you know? Absolutely. And I've told you in the, a couple segments ago, I really struggle with being a people pleaser. And so I do feel like my first inclination is always to try to find the common ground, kind of uh, take something down. I don't want to, uh, uh, you know, to, in my mind, unnecessarily, but maybe it's sometimes necessarily create friction, um, I'm I'm a bit of an avoider. Man, I'm I'm having like a counseling session here for you. <laughs> How does that um, make you feel? Exactly. Brian? <laughs> but but in, when it comes to this, when it comes to like speaking truth and just saying no, right is right sometimes and wrong is wrong. Sometimes I can really struggle with that. And yeah. Um, now you can go too far. We all have those Facebook friends who are just jerks and and yeah. and weigh yeah. in on everything and are right. say that they know everything. Uh, right. And that is certainly uh, not what this is about. But sometimes just standing up and saying, this is what's right. Like this is, even if I don't feel comfortable, like having to push you back on this, uh, I listened while shoveling yesterday uh, or two days ago, I listened to uh, a podcast about the assassination of Martin Luther King. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I didn't know a lot of the complexities of his life and the background. It was fascinating, but also what I felt um, fascinated by, but also challenged by was that, uh, he more or less got recruited for at least according to this podcast, he got recruited into the movement and yeah. it said like, he really just wanted to be a preacher and raise his family. And um, like, sometimes we, things are put in front of us that we say, you know what? Like I have to, it's my God given role right now yeah. to like speak. And I didn't really, I never really thought about that about him. And I, I found that challenging to myself. Like, Oh, you know what? Sometimes you just have to do what's right. Right. And I, I think it, it's a tension between like conviction and compassion. Right. Mm-hmm. And the myth is that they can't both exist in the same space. But I think of the pretty well-known story of Jesus with the woman caught in adultery. Right. Yep. Uh, let he who was without sin cast the first stone. I'm imagining this woman terrified, expecting her life to end. And he kneels down, looks her in the eye and says, where, where are your accusers? And she says, they're gone. Yep. And he says, neither do I. Um, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. It was. It was conviction and compassion yes. in the same breath, right? He says, I, I'm not condemning you. Also, live differently. So yeah. he's calling out sin for being sin, but he's also saying he's beginning with the posture of love, right? And I think that that's, oh, gosh, easier said than done. But what a, what an important place for us to start. If you're if you're feeling like I'm wondering if I should speak or not speak, if, if beginning with the posture of love, whether it's love for a person um, that you're that you're challenging or love for the person who's being exploited or victimized. Like the the, the story ends with a pretty powerful statement. It says compromise is not valuable in its own right, and justice sel- seldom dwells in the middle. Mm. That like that hits me with a ton of brick. Like because sometimes I, you know the middle is kind of the aim for me. Like let's all can we you know can we navigate to this place where we can all kind of agree? Like sometimes justice standing up for the marginalized means. 
um, saying difficult things to the yeah. people that are enacting it, and that is rarely popular. And I think there's also something to be said about uh, pick the hills you're going to die on. Yeah, because right. sometimes if you if everything is of greatest importance and you have to weigh in on everything, then you're yep. then people are just going to tune you out. Uh, yep. If you never compromise, if you're never someone who can find the middle ground, so uh, pick the hills you're going to die on. Well, that's kind of at the heart of the common good. What we're talking about, we want right. to we want to speak truth. We want to speak grace. And we just want to wrestle with these messy questions where Christians, some agree, some disagree and uh, have that conversation. Well, coming up next, uh, we're going to talk about a New York times article that said students learn best from the people they love. I think we know this, but, but what role does emotion and relationship play in education? I think this is fascinating when we then boil it down uh, to how do our kids learn about Jesus and learn to what it means to follow Jesus. Well, I'm Brian Fromm, along with Ian Simpkins. This is The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined by Ian Simpkins. You can follow The Common Good on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, we would love to grow the number of people on there and also the interaction. We'd love to hear from you. What are some things you want us to talk about? What are some things you're interested in hearing? Uh, what are some prizes you'd like us to give away? Am I, am I allowed to give away prizes, Ian? What do we think? Am I allowed to give away prizes? <laughs> I, it depends on the prize, man. <laughs> How about dinner with Ian? Oh, babysitting. You could babysit Ian's new... No, I'm just kidding. That's, That's the prize for them? That's outstanding. <laughs> Sign me up. I'm trying to get you there. I'm trying to get <laughs> Thanks, man. Uh, but we want to do fun stuff with our listeners. We want to get to know you some more. So don't just follow us on Facebook, but also interact, uh, put stuff on there. Uh, you can also find us online at 1160hope.com. There you can find old shows, old interviews, um, whatever you've heard that you'd be of interest. Well, again, we're almost done with this crazy cold day today. Hopefully you're inside, tucked away, uh, drinking some hot chocolate, enjoying it. And we're glad that you're spending some time uh, with us. Well, Ian, uh, we came across a great article in the New York Times. The headline is this, students learn from people they love. And we were both intrigued by this because we're uh, we're teachers on some level as pastors. We want yeah. people to learn well. Uh, and so this piqued our interest. Um, tell us about uh, this New York Times article, Students Learn from People They Love. Yeah, the subheading is Putting Relationship Quality at the Center of Education. It's by a, a guy named David Brooks, who's a professor. And he, he opens up starting with a story where uh, he was teaching at Yale, and he made an announcement to the class that he was going to have to cancel office hours that day because he was dealing with some personal stuff and a friend was coming up to help him sort through them. And later that day he got like 10 or 15 emails from students saying that they were, they were thinking about him. They were, Mm. they were praying for him. And that was sort of a light bulb moment for him that, that, that one small act of vulnerability um, showed him what was really going on in his, in his classroom. And it led him to this, this whole body of research and this particular posture that the headline kind of points to is that um, emotional connection, this relational equity, isn't? it's not icing on a cake, and it's certainly not on the opposite side of reason. You know, we're, right. many of us were kind of taught that, like, reason and emotion are on opposite ends of this teeter-totter, that you're either, like, one or the other. Yeah. And uh, the story says, that, I think this is brilliant, it says, um, 
Work by cognitive scientists like Antonio Damasio showed us that emotion is not the opposite of reason. It's essential to reason. Mm. Emotions assign value to things. If you don't know what you want, you can't make good decisions. Furthermore, emotions tell you uh, what to pay attention to, care about, and remember. It's hard to work through difficulty if your emotions aren't engaged. Information is plentiful, but motivation is scarce. Mm. And I, that is so many like synapses are firing in my brain right yeah, now. Yeah. The, the importance, not just of like having good content or making good content available, particularly, you know, for you and I as preachers, but for anybody, whether you're a writer or a communicator or um, someone who cares about um, getting information across or learning information yourself, that this emotionality, this we're finding there is neurological connection to how we feel about, the person disseminating the information and how well we one retain it and two actually implement it into our lives. And I think so often the emotional component is it maybe not totally dismissed, but it's certainly not placed at the center of the process. It's yes. sort of like, yeah. And if you can ultimately, if this can happen, that would be good too. Well, the, the story in multiple ways, it's a, it's a brilliant story talks over and over and over again about like, this cannot be a peripheral issue if we really want people to learn well in fact, our brains are hardwired to learn best from people that we have this relational equity with. I think that is absolutely fascinating. I know. I look back to even back to high school and college um, and the people that I was most uh, influenced by as teachers and the ones that I remember the most, like the, the schools that I most remember. Um, and it was it was the teachers that I felt like they cared like whether in high school they were the ones that would laugh with you and they seemed, you know, in a weird way, like the cool teacher that everyone wanted to be around. They weren't just trying to give us information, but there was something about them. Uh, or in college, that teacher who would spend a little bit of extra time with you uh, and knowing that they cared uh, became really important. And I remember more about their classes uh, hmm. than I remember about really, you know, it wasn't about the transfer of information for me. Yep. Uh, and so spinning this forward, what does that mean for us as pastors? Um, because we often will just think about it as like, I'm going to get up and I'm going to speak to you, uh, and you are going to listen to me from on high and you're going to be transformed and inspired and you're going to take this. And if we, but if we take this New York times article and we keep pushing it down, it says, no, no, you know what pastor, they're going to listen to you more if they know that you love them and they know that you care. And that's and that's also, I think, a, a strong case for the significance, the irreplaceable significance of being in person, right? That that gathering, uh, even that as a first step, um, is an important piece. Later in the story, it says Patricia Cool of the University of Washington has shown that the social brain pervades every learning process. She she gave infants Chinese lessons. Some infants took face to face lessons with a tutor. And their social brain was activated through the direct eye contact and such. Mm. And they learned Chinese sounds at an amazing clip. Others watched the same lessons through a video screen and they paid rapt attention but learned nothing. So so even just this idea of like being in person, like that is the starting point of like this emotional connection. And the opposite is also true that when there's like negative emotions like fear can have like devastating effects on our brain's ability to learn. So that's an that's another word of caution, I think, to pastors, leaders, teachers who like lead through fear, who lead through a posture of of domination, right? Like that, you you may get the information across effectively, but like we're finding more and more 
that the people that you're really wanting to get, you know, quote unquote, get it, um, likely aren't be because these things, you know, kind of supersede our brain's ability to retain them. I think that I think that's brilliant. It's yeah, that is that is fascinating. I, I can't help but take it to parenting. Then take it mm. back to its most foundational level. Uh, like you, you were saying, like uh, they're learning from their screens or they're learning from this. And I just think about my own kids and um, the amount that they just take in like a sponge from me and my wife hmm. um, at all ages, but that it requires such intentionality. Like sometimes I just want to go home and fall on the couch and be like, leave me alone. But that like the investment, the personal investment in each of my children is honestly going to do more than any school is going to do. Even the church is going to do that investment that my wife and I make in our kids over their, you know, 18 years in our house or whatever, uh, that's going to do more to mold them than anything. And so when I read this, I kind of read this in light even of me as a parent and us as parents. Like, uh, are you doing this sort of investment? Not so your kid likes you, or you, but they, they're emotionally connected to you. They're going to learn from you. How are you? How are you taking advantage of this? Right. And uh, what are your what are your your methodology for helping shape your kids? Well, and I I think uh, Maya Angelou put it best. She said, Pe "People will forget what you said, but they'll never forget how you made them feel." Mm -hmm. And that again is convicting because you know we've often talked about how frustrating, how heartbreaking it can be sometimes. Like when you ask somebody on Monday what the sermon was about. Like eighty five percent of people were like, it's "Awful." I don't Jesus, maybe yeah. I, don't, I don't know. So like to to obsess less over them, like remembering specific you know quotes or tweets or lines from a talk or a sermon or a lesson, because people are are likely over the years going to forget exactly what you said, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. Like how convicting that is when we think about how we lead, how we serve, how we parent. Uh, that is something that I, I mean, I want to keep that like in the forefront of my mind. Yeah, I know. I think of my youth pastor a lot and I literally cannot remember one thing he taught in four years. Hmm. Like I do not literally remember even how we would sit at youth group and how he would teach. I don't remember any of that. And I'm not over speaking. I literally don't remember it. Hmm. Uh, but I do know that he had more of an effect on me than just about anybody in my life because he'd wow. take me out. We'd play basketball together. We'd talk about life and, uh, and that did it. So, uh, wow. Remember the connection, the emotional connection to learning and uh, in your kid's life, in your church, at schools. Uh, it's an important connection for all of us. Well, this is The Common Good on AM 1160. Coming up next, we're going to land this plane on this cold Wednesday afternoon with just some fun and hijinks and crazy things we found on the Internet. Hijinks. Hijinks. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Well, welcome back to The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Uh, in this last segment, we always like to just do some crazy things we found on the internet. Um, just kind of a lighthearted way to end the show on a, uh, on a cold, bitterly uh, freezing Wednesday afternoon and evening. So anyway, this is The Common Good on AIM 1160. My name is Brian Fromm, joined by Ian Simpkins. Uh, Ian is back. This is day two, back from... Uh, do we call it paternity leave? Is that what we're calling this? What did you I, ever just? I'm not even confident it's day two, man. Everything just bleeds together. You could call it whatever you want. <laughs> if you could see Ian, he just has a straight drip of coffee straight into his veins, <laughs> and uh, it may not be doing the the trick even. But he's 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 troopering through. Do my best. All right, crazy things we found on the internet, my friend. Are you ready? I'm ready. In Australia, I'm going all the way to Australia. Outstanding. This is. 
Like, this is everybody's nightmare. This is right up there. If you did, like, top ten nightmares for people, this is there. Woman bitten by snake lurking inside her toilet. No. No. I'm out. I'm out. You're doing the rest of the show by yourself. She originally thought it was a frog, uh, but it was not a frog. Uh, It was instead a five-foot python that bit her from the toilet. How do we feel about that? That is legitimately nightmarish. It is. Oh, my goodness. I guess I can't ever go to Australia then. That's that. That settles it. An interesting part of this story is the lady said she didn't turn on the bathroom lights before going to the bathroom. And then she said, that is a mistake I will never make again. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) I don't know that the lights were the issue, but at least she could have seen it maybe when she went there. So anyway, that's true. All Uh, right. I love this one um, for uh, at least three reasons. One, (laughs) it's from Florida. Ah, yes. Way to go, Florida. Two, it's got a pun in the title. Okay. Three, it involves pizza. So... Just for so many reasons, this is... <laughs> I'm ready for it now. The headline is, No dough. Florida men steal <laughs> empty safe at Domino's. <laughs> First awesome. line of the story, no this dough. is not the way to make some dough. <laughs> uh, didn't, didn't. So they apparently stole a safe uh, that had zero dollars in it, which, I mean, imagine the sadness and frustration you must have felt you know getting home and finally cracking that thing open and realizing well, that was maybe not worth the risk yes that did not pan out the way that we thought it would you know like you and your buddy whoever you did it with think it's like oceans 11 like you're like like you're breaking in and you're gonna get out this big hall you're coming down like uh mission impossible from the ceiling right, <laughs> right and then right. you get home you're like we did it we did it and it's empty <laughs> that is well. awesome that's well. awesome hey i got one from florida lay it on me we're back in florida here it is. Man, 49, arrested for attacking his wife with a Taco Bell burrito. Oh, my gosh. He threw a Why? Taco Bell burrito and hit his wife in the face, quote, <laughs> causing some to go up into her nose, oh according to the police. And they arrested the suspect on domestic battery. Now, we never want to make light of domestic battery. Yeah, but no kidding. Jeez. This was done with Taco Bell that he picked up for lunch. Threw a burrito. All right. I'm not, I'm not even going to touch that one. That's unfortunate. Yep. Don't even. Yep. This one's a little more lighthearted. It says contact lens found lodged in woman's eyelid. This one's crazy. 28 years after she lost it, doctors report. So she lost gosh, lost her contact almost three decades ago. And uh, she she had some, some swelling. And the doctors were like, oh, I think we found the problem here. And it was a contact lens. How is that even possible? I, I don't wear contacts. I have no... I have no that's like the ultimate like pebble in your shoe yes. that you just get used to, but in your eyelid. So I used to wear contacts, and okay. you might be like, "How does one used to wear contacts?" Well, yeah, right. I'm glad you asked. Well, I had uh, <laughs> I had the the LASIK eye surgery. Is uh, this brought to you by LASIK? This uh, no, this was done for free by a guy. Oh. It was anyway. It's a whole story for another day. <laughs> uh, free LASIK eye surgery in Ohio. There you go. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it worked perfectly, and so. But before that, I wore contacts. And I'm not kidding. When you got like a contact like stuck in your eye, kind of folded, it was like the worst feeling thing in the world. Like I couldn't make it, you know, two minutes with those before like crying and trying to rinse my eye out. That was crazy. Gross. Gross. I can't. That's awful. You ready for another Florida one? I mean, might as well. I mean, this is like all Florida all the time. No, I'm going to North Korea on this one. Okay. North Korea. That's a big left turn right there. Yeah, no kidding. North Korea launches clothing line that can be eaten to avoid starvation. 
Okay, not going to lie. I like that one. North Korea has re- has released a line of shirts for men that it claims can be eaten to avoid starvation if necessary. Oh, that's kind of brilliant, isn't it? I mean, A, what does it taste like? But if you're about to starve, does it matter? Can I order different different uh like different tastes? Can that's I order the most um, That's the most American question you could ask. Can I or, the... do I have a variety in these shirts? I'm going with that 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 looks a lot better on paper than it actually does in your mouth. I I don't think that's going to work. But hey, if it works then that is brilliant. You're right. It's it's utility. I imagine it probably doesn't hold up in the rain, right? That's <laughs> this it can't be that durable. Like if it's pizza flavored like shirt and all of a sudden it starts to Whatever. I'm I'm asking too many questions. That's awesome. All right, this one's on uh on cbs.com. Uh 10-year-old <laughs> attempts to prove Tom Brady is a cheater in winning science fair project. <laughs> it's he won he won the science fair with this project and his whole thesis was to prove that Tom Brady is a cheater. That's uh well done, my friend. Well, done, I don't know son. if you're a Brady fan or not. I'm guessing you're not. I'm. I mean, I respect. There's respect, right? There's got to like, be. There's got to be huge respect. But let's just be honest. Everybody outside of New England is rooting for the Rams this weekend. That's true. There's- it's just. It's amazing because it's a ten year old. So he's got this big poster board, and the big heading just says, "Is Tom Brady a cheater?" And it's got all these pictures and articles and memes and. <laughs> Somebody so, put them up to that, but it's amazing. So you would like to think that that kids do amazing stuff for their uh, like these like groundbreaking theory of relativity stuff for science fairs. But my daughter has a science fair this week, and her and her friend, her good friend, have put together a whole project, and it's really well done. It's really good, but it's basically and any parents out there with elementary age kids will understand this. It is which kind of glue makes the stretchiest slime. <laughs> that is. That is the science fair project, and there's a whole poster. They've got some examples. They've done a great job on it, but isn't that funny? That's amazing. Not the theory of relativity. All right, I'll give you. I'll end you my my run here on Michigan because you are from Michigan and you like pizza. I do. True. Polar vortex of 2019. Pizza places report spike in sales and deliveries in the state of Michigan. Again, not not uh, not surprising. But I just thought of you with Michigan. What was it, Little Caesars? Yep, that's Little right. Caesars and uh, well people in Michigan are are having their their Little Caesars while playing their Kid Rock and Eminem, and they're going. <laughs> you just had to go there. I did, I did. You got one more? Yeah, I'll end it with this. This one's a feel good. This is a good. This is good. a good one to end on. Uh, a construction worker made this life sized Where's Waldo cutout for hospitalized children to follow and play along. So this is uh, South Bend, Indiana, a new wing at the Memorial Children's Hospital, and so this whole area that's under construction. Uh, he made this life-size Where's Waldo, and he puts it like in different windows on different days. So the kids who are hospitalized looking out the window play this game each day to try and find oh, this Waldo. Cool. And I think what what an incredible example of a guy. That, that's not a part of his job, right? His oh. job there is to build this wing, and he went like way above and beyond to like to bless these kids, to engage with them, and try to you know brighten their day a little bit. That's I love a cool, that. That's a that great story. way to end. It reminds me of the Patton Oswald story. The funeral of the of the Air Force veteran in Texas. There are good That's people right. out there That's as right. Christ followers. Let's be part of that movement. Let's treat people well with compassion and grace. Well, you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm along with Ian Simpkins. Stay warm. Enjoy the rest of your evening, Chicagoland.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.